0: Hey trivia fans, looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription. And experience the best in interactive entertainment even remote attendees can play along check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information
1: Welcome to the Last Call Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team today. Our favorite part of trivia night is the discussion that the questions spark and the connections those conversations create. That's why our trivia players will be showing their work and talking through the thought process behind each of their answers as we go. So, speaking of our trivia players, I'm joined today by the Last Call Trivia team of DJ, Kelly, and Omen. Before we get started with the game today, I want to do a quick little warm-up to get everybody's brain working. And I want to hear something new each of our players has learned this week. Something new that you've learned. Uh, now, let's see. I'm trying to decide who has the less confused face right now. I think it's probably DJ, so I'm going to go with you. What have you learned this week? I feel like a, a teacher uh, conducting a class through Zoom right now. <laughs>
2: that's, a, that's an apt analogy. Well, I, uh, I discovered that there is um, an effort in the video game world to decompile old video games so old in this case being like like Nintendo 64 era and a couple of years ago there was a, a team that that successfully decompiled Super Mario 64 and it led to these really interesting remixes and and various things well the same team has done the impossible and um, they've successfully after two years a group of volunteer coders has decompiled the code for The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of time on the Nintendo 64. Uh, And so it it means that they can create, you know, high res uh, PC remasters. They can remix the game, add new gameplay elements, streamline various things that weren't very modern uh, when Ocarina came out. So I I thought that was super interesting that this group of people would, you know, band together, volunteer their time. And over, you know, two years, um, take this old, old game down to the base code and turn it into something human readable.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, that, obviously uh, one of the more, more popular video games of all time, and to kind of strip it down to brass tacks like that, fascinating that they can do that all these years later. Kelly, what about you? What's something new you learned this week?
3: Uh, as you may have guessed, one of my favorite shows of all times was The Waltons, and uh, there was a new or a redone special that aired on Sunday night. Don't watch it if you haven't. It was sacrilegious. It was horrible. And it was so bad that I wanted to like pick apart everything that was wrong with it. And in like the first 30 seconds, they had a shot of the youngest daughter like drawing with crayons. And I was like, this show is so bad, crayons probably weren't even invented then. So I looked it up. And of course, they were. They were invented in 1902. But then I got looking at interesting facts about crayons. And one of the things that I didn't know, my second favorite artist of all time is Grant Wood, the American regionalist painter who did American Gothic. When he was a child, he entered a Crayola crayon drawing contest, and he came in third place, which makes me wonder, like, who came in first? But he credited (laughs) that contest with inspiring him to continue pursuing his career in art. And it's like, you know, you never know as a child, like what little tiny thing could really make a difference in somebody's life. So I thought that was really sweet and interesting.
1: Okay, well, look, you do have to sharpen crayons sometimes to use them. That's kind of like whittling. So we'll go from that to (laughs) Omen, who uh, can tell us what he's learned this week. Yeah, so
0: I visited my mom. She was putting together a grant proposal that involved QR codes, and I learned that the original design for the QR code was based on the
1: Japanese board game Go. Wow, cool. I, I haven't heard of that before, and, and uh, I find those QR codes fascinating. What I learned this week is that Twitter co-founder or founder, whichever it is, Jack Dorsey, is into micro-dosing LSD and extreme hot and cold treatments which somehow to me sounds worse than microdosing LSD. (laughs) But, you know, that's probably just my particular perspective on it. All right, look, in today's podcast, we'll be challenging the Last Call Trivia team with questions that previously appeared in Last Call Trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country. Our podcast show has two rounds of trivia, three questions per round. There's also one bonus question in between the two rounds, and then a final question that closes out the game. Before we dive into the game, a quick reminder. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. And if you'd like to learn more about all of Last Call Trivia's products and services, visit lastcalltrivia.com for more ways to get your trivia fix. Let's start off with round number one. I'll read each question aloud for DJ Kelly and Omen, and then they have three minutes to discuss and decide on an answer. In addition to their answer, they also need to choose a point wager, and the point wagers in round one are one, three, or six. They can use those wagers in any order, but they can only use each amount once per round. So you want to save the higher wagers for answers they're most confident in. The categories for round number one are food, food, television, and history. Here's the food question. Farfalle pasta gets its name from the Italian word for which insect? Three minutes on the clock. Pasta, what insect? uh, (laughs) I can
3: pick. I never knew it was pronounced that way. I thought it was, like, farfalle. How do you pronounce it, Omen? You you know.
0: I, I, uh... Farfalle, isn't it's, that what I it's said? It's farfalle. I think you put the. I think you put the emphasis a little bit sooner in the word than is typical. But
1: okay, it's far. It is farfalle. I meant to say it that way. I apologize.
3: <laughs> the cat is saying the, it the correctly. Cat, if you the cat is, he, is correcting he, me. He is I appreciate. To James's the, pronunciation, the studio cat. Of yes, farfalle. no, it is. It
1: is farfalle. I, farfalle. Sorry, I, I don't know why I'm giving it that little <laughs> farfalle pasta. The Italian word for which insect? Um,
0: Also known as bow tie pasta, also one of my favorite shapes of pasta, I find...
3: I like a farfalle as well.
0: You know, the different shapes of pasta evolved or were created to have specific interactions with different types of sauces. And, you know, there are some, uh, I, I lived in Italy for a little bit, and people will get absolutely enraged at you if you suggest pairing the wrong sauce with the wrong shape of pasta because it's just, it doesn't make sense. Right.
3: The studio cat is objecting to the concept of pairing the wrong sauce Indeed. with the wrong pasta right now. He, it's, it's very serious to him. I mean, I can picture what a farfalle looks like even before you said bow tie pasta. Although that like confirms my suspicion. Does that
0: remind yeah, you of I a mean, particular type of insect, Kelly?
3: It does, but I, I guess it's silly that I wouldn't call this an in, an insect. I guess I felt like it had its own classification, you know, like arachnids aren't insects. I felt like butterflies and moths were not insects; they were their own category. But I guess I guess that's wrong. I mean, isn't it a butterfly? Isn't that what it looks like?
0: It is a butterfly, and they are insects. Uh, And I think that the reason we classify them differently is because we like butterflies and insects in our (laughs) mind are like the gross stuff. But no, (laughs) indeed, a, a, a butterfly is an insect and farfalle is the name in Italian for
2: butterfly. Uh, it, it is interesting that you mentioned the negative connotation there with insects, Omen, because, you know, insect can be used as, a, as an insult, right? Like it's one of those classic, right. like you if you were to, to really speak down, you, you insect, you, you know, despicable being. So I, I, I think that's a pretty interesting uh, linguistic connotation there. Last call.
0: I think we should go with butterfly and I'm dead certain about it, so I think we should go for the maximum number of points. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay six eggs on this
2: on. The <laughs> little- I, I, uh, <laughs> I think your proboscis is probed deep enough to, <laughs> to get the sweet nectar at the root of that flower and I agree. I
3: do not Uh, like that metaphor at all, but I'll go with six. We
1: are talking food, so, you know, nectar and eggs and all this kind of stuff, that kind of fits also. But farfalle pasta gets its name. (laughs) It's hard for me to say for some reason. I apologize. Clearly, I couldn't be any more, uh, you know, of a United Kingdom mutt in my, uh, you know, makeup. (sighs) Farfalle pasta gets its name from the Italian word for which insect? You guys say for six points. Butterfly. Butterfly is the answer. Yeah. so very nicely done, and uh, yes, also known as bow tie pasta. It's from the Lombardy region, and apparently it's best with uh, cream sauces or tomato sauces. Apparently, uh, to Omen's point about sauces, I, that, that's what I read. So apparently, that's the sauce you want to pair with that pasta if you're going to prepare that. Okay, we go to television. What TV mom was played by Barbara Billingsley in the original series and Janine Turner in the 1997 film adaptation? Three minutes on the clock, team.
3: I know this one. While, while Omen was off whittling, I was watching this as a child.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think of what shows had an original and then a film. Um,
2: is, is the film remake, is that Bewitched in 97?
3: Uh, no, it's not, and I'm going to say that I had no idea that there was a film remake, and the concept of it is horrifying. I know that's, But I, d- right. I, I am confident that Barbara Billingsley played this character in the television show, even I'm though correct. I'm completely unaware of a movie version. I know that Star Trek
0: uh, had a long run and then was made into a, a number of film adaptations, but I suspect it's it is, not, it is Star is Star not Star
3: Trek. <laughs> it is not Star Trek. Was there a mom in Star Trek? Of
0: course. There are lots of moms in Star
3: Trek. <laughs> well, <laughs> people I, don't think, I would people love feel to procreate see a crossover this is a fantastic uh, idea for anybody who's listening in, in the film industry—a crossover between Star Trek and this classic 1950s, 60s—I <laughs> don't even know—sitcom <laughs> with Barbara Billingsley as the mom to I don't know is Spock it, okay, or, or is whoever. It in in Bunch? no. Huh.
2: In fairness, the the 97 uh, Bewitched remake—I'm pretty sure it stars Will Ferrell—and it was like it was like a thing. So I'm not.
3: No, no, you no, I know I, that there was I'm the not, Bewitched movie, but I'm, I'm saying this this show gotcha. with Barbara Billingsley, I, I did not know was made into a movie. I do know I gotcha, about the Bewitched I gotcha. business. Okay. Yeah. Give us a hint, Kelly. Yeah, well, help us out you, here. Oh, man, you, you and your brother maybe remind me of these lead characters a little bit in <laughs> your orneriness and, <laughs> From the and 50s? earnestness.
0: From the 1950s? I have no idea. So the
2: only ones that I can think of that would fit that description are either Leave it to Beaver or Dennis the Menace.
0: Leave
3: it to Beaver.
2: Oh, cool! I didn't. I don't. I know none of the actors' names from Leave It to Beaver.
3: In theory, I know all of them, but it's a little early in the morning to recite
0: them. <laughs> so it sounds like we should confidently go with the Beaver and uh, and put four meaty tail slaps on this uh,
1: on this question. <laughs> Voting for uh, the Beave, it, it never goes wrong.
3: I'm I'm pretty confident in Barbara Billingsley.
1: Okay so well the question is what TV mom was played by Barbara Billingsley in the original series and Janine Turner in the 1997 oh, film Oh so the adaptation. question isn't
3: the series it's not Leave it to Beaver it's the Last mom Last call Oh no Last call Wait. what's
2: the name of the mom Was wasn't wasn't she June Cleaver?
3: Yes
1: Okay All, All right. right so what are we going with a wager on that For. Points. Okay, three is an option. Let's do three. This- three. <laughs> sorry, three. <laughs> three <bigger laughs> so We're let's so go to bonus point. We, we never get the bonus point four. we wanted it here. Okay, here we go. What TV mom was played by Barbara Billingsley in the original series? Janine Turner in the 1997 film adaptation? June Cleaver for three points. That is correct. June Cleaver. Yes. So, uh, nicely done. Uh, Of course, Kelly knew that one right away, but you guys were a little bit, you know, kind of picking up the the back end on the sitcom itself. No clue. I always Um, think
3: of Omen as the beeve. That's funny. I I had to laugh at that one. No, not at all. I'm joking. Uh, No similarity.
1: (laughs) All right. Here we go. History. Architect Christopher Wren was responsible for the rebuilding of over 50 churches in what city after a large fire destroyed them? Three minutes.:
0: Oh okay, so let's see. Um, cities that were destroyed by large fires to come to mind immediately, of course, Chicago, the great Chicago Fire, and London Ch- with any, choose the
3: other one.: <laughs> Any number of,
0: any number of fires. Uh, you don't think it's Chicago?: They had churches there.: I think it's London. You think it's London.
3: No. They do have churches in Chicago, but I, don't, <laughs> I think Christopher Wren is, is known for architecture in London.
0: Interesting. What's his deal?
3: Well, he was an architect.
0: Oh, did he build some churches?
3: And there were there was a need <laughs> for some churches. I, I actually I don't I don't know what his deal was. I just remember um that oh goodness. What's the name of the, the famous cathedral West, in London? Westminster Abbey. But I don't know that he did Westminster Abbey, but he, he did um St. James? You know, the other churches in Saint, London. St. James Cathedral. Sure. Saint Mark, sounds, Saint like, Sounds Peter. like he
0: may. Sounds like he profited off the fire. I wonder if he was in cahoots with the fire. Hey. Nice, well, several, nice, nice several hundred churches you got there. It'd be a pity if someone was to burn them down. <laughs>
3: well, is this going to be like the alternate history book where Christopher Wren <laughs> is vilified as the arsonist who caused the Great Fire of London? You know, I'd,
2: I'd probably watch that limited Netflix series,
0: to be honest.
2: With so. Barbara
3: Billingsley as Christopher Wren's mom? Now, the thing that I'm Definitely. curious about is which
0: Great Fire of London was he involved in the rebuilding of? Because London has burned down, like... Six, th- at least three or four
2: times. 1666.
3: Was, yeah, I
0: was going to say this was
2: the Cromwell fire, right? No, that's that's too early. But I, I think this was the fire that took place around the time of Oliver Cromwell.
3: Was there a great fire of London in 1666?
1: Let's find out. Uh, I think so. When we give one point... <laughs> To the city I think, of London. I think okay. James is
3: going to tell us.
1: The one The one point, obviously, is the one remaining option. So the, the question is, under history, architect Christopher Wren was responsible for the rebuilding of over 50 churches in what city after a large fire destroyed them? You guys said pretty quickly London. The answer is, for one point, London. Uh, no, Very nicely yes. done. And yeah, that was, in fact, the great fire of 1666. If this was the bonus question, you would have totally nailed the year. Kelly, Can and it be
3: it, the bonus question? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, have, I don't have that kind
1: of ability. But it started in a bakery, and the Lord Mayor, whoever was in charge at the time, it started at like midnight on a Sunday. It burned all day on Sunday, so they didn't put the fire breaks in place, which was kind of what they did back then. They would knock things down to try to just stop the fire from advancing, and that's why it kind of just like burned an, an entire swath, a major windswept firestorm. That totally destroyed the city, as you pointed you out. Know, so, yeah.
3: Christopher Wren really liked baked goods. I think there's something hey, there. And that's
1: why you bread know, we, has been outlawed in London the last 400 years (laughs) but but we do not want to be sued by the estate of christopher Wren. so uh (laughs) we're we're just saying that's a speculation a total speculation okay yeah he was also notoriously litigious so let's (laughs) yeah right right exactly all right look now it's time for today's bonus question as we just alluded to the rules for the bonus question are a bit different and here's what we have in store the answer to the bonus question is always in the form of a number the players probably won't know the exact answer but maybe they will And that's okay. The idea is for them to give their best guess. At live, Last Call Trivia shows the top 50% of teams that get the closest to the exact answer win one bonus point. But since our trivia team isn't playing against anyone else today, the writing team has set a predetermined range that their answer must fall between for them to get the point for the bonus question. And here it is. How many churches were destroyed in the Great Fire of London in 1666, three minutes right. on the clock.
3: Well, we already so, know that Christopher Wren was responsible for rebuilding over 50, so I think it's safe to say more than 50.
2: Right, more he, than 50, indeed. He probably didn't have right, a so, monopoly on the church rebuilding well, it, racket. It might be helpful if we start by estimating the total number of churches in London, because if we can figure out roughly what percentage of London burned in 1666, then we could make a, a reasonable guess... As to the percentage oh, that's of churches. Interesting.
3: I would I would methodologize it another way, which is what percentage having no idea how to calculate the number of churches that could possibly be in London. What percentage of churches would it be reasonable to assume that Christopher Wren was responsible for rebuilding yeah, and say, then yeah. extrapolate to a total? Number? Like, you know, is he responsible for 20 percent? Then we would know that 50 you know, is 20% of whatever number that is.
0: I think think either way could work. I'm trying to think, you know, in 1666, the boundaries of London would have been a little bit different than they are now. It would have been, you know, what's considered London would be smaller than what's considered London now, I think. And having lived in London, I'm trying to think about how, like what the church to block ratio was and like, There are a lot of churches up in there.
2: It's
3: pretty high.
0: Yeah. That's why I was thinking if we could, if we estimated,
2: if we could come up with some kind of rough estimate of, you know, churches per capita, basically. And
0: just as a round number, I would say that there has, there have to be at least 500 to 700 churches in London in 1666, maybe let's say 750. If he rebuilt 50 of them, and we know that not all of London burned. I wonder if it was somewhere around the range of 200 or 250, like if we're saying that he built a quarter of all the churches that were destroyed. What do we think about that?
2: That's a methodology I could live with. I I was thinking along similar lines. I I hadn't really thought of the numbers specifically, but I I, I think that's probably in the realm of of likelihood and possibility. In 1666, there was a lot of piety in London.
3: I would up it. And if we're going to be in that range, I would up it to 275.
0: Last call. Let's say 275, yeah? We could go up even more. 275 to 300? Say two, let's
1: say 286. Love it. Love it. Sold. 286? Yeah. All right. How many churches were destroyed in the Great Fire of London in 1666? Our team says 286. The answer 87.
3: What? Wait, what?
1: Eighty-seven churches were destroyed ah. in 1666. What? They should have destroyed ex- a few more of them. Just the so acceptable that we range. <laughs> have the answer correct. Seventy-five to one hundred would have been the acceptable range. So just a bit outside. Just but that's just several crazy hundred. Outside. That Christopher
3: Wren, if he designed or rebuilt over fifty, and there were yeah. only what eighty-seven that were destroyed.
1: So he, I mean, he basically did have a monopoly. I mean, more or less, it sounds like he did kind of do them all. I'm going back to my. He started the fire
0: theory. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking that I'm thinking that the the old London term for
2: baker really was arsonist. I hey. mean, that, that's kind of I think it was wow. a euphemism. Again, just
1: speculation. Just speculation. Wow. We're, we're moving on to round number two. The questions in the second round will be themed to a specific topic, and today's theme is Tom Hanks. In this round, the point wager (laughs) options have updated to either two, five, or seven points. Two, five, or seven. So the team can use each wager only once per round, but they do have some higher options to work with here. The categories for round number two are common awards, characters, and magic. Again, (gasps) under the theme of Tom Hanks. Here the uh, question is for uh, common awards, okay? Common awards. For what two movies did Tom Hanks become only the second person ever to win back-to-back Oscars for Best Actor in a Lead Role? Read it again. For what two movies did Tom Hanks become only the second person ever to win back-to-back Oscars for Best Actor in a Lead Role? Three minutes on the clock for our team.
3: Okay, so I think he won for Philadelphia, did he not?
2: He did win for Philadelphia, and he won for Forrest Gump. So it was Philadelphia in 93? I, Gump thought was was, I thought it was ninety
3: four. I thought it was ninety two, but that's close enough. Though, that mean, could, yeah, uh, yeah
2: it could have been ninety two. It could have been ninety two, ninety three. But
0: I, I could have sworn that Gump was ninety four. All of that sounds right to me. I had forgotten. I've never seen the Philadelphia film. Is that is that the one about? Doesn't that have to do with the HIV crisis and something yes. like that? It's yep. pretty
3: heart wrenching. Yeah, he plays a, an attorney actually who. Yeah develops AIDS and is fired, I think, from his job mm-hmm. uh, because of it, because yep. his employers think that his clients won't want to be around him and he sues and who, who plays his attorney?
2: That's reaching too far back in the memory hole for me. In my I can't head,
3: it's like Denzel Washington, but that might not be right. But, um, he, he doesn't, I mean this is not a spoiler cause the movie came out 20 years ago. He doesn't make <laughs> it through the trial. And yeah. it's it's heart wrenching to see him try to, you know, win this fight mm. and be, you know, losing the battle of his own life in the process. And it um, it, it was very good, but also one of those things that's difficult to watch, despite yeah. it being high quality. It sounds. And it did not it, like a comedy. It. it did a lot to <laughs> it is not a comedy definitely
2: not a comedy. It did a lot though at the time to put put a human face to what was still kind of a mysterious you know disease and condition for a lot oh, of sure. a lot of Americans and you know granted it was a it was a fictionalized face, but it was a it was based on a true story. so it was really a, kind of a cool way for Hollywood to have done something with film that actually made a positive impact in society. There's a lot of people who trace that back to, to a shifting sentiment
0: around the the approach to HIV. So then, and then of course, Forrest Gump, I think was a little bit more well-known. Uh, yeah, I think those I think it's safe to go with those two films. I think, um, yeah, I don't think we're going to go with big. Well, he didn't win an Oscar for Apollo thirteen, which was the f-
2: the next movie after Forrest Gump that came out that he was in. So I think it's got to be Philadelphia and Forrest yeah, Gump.
0: Yeah, I like it. Let's should we should we go five? Are we semi confident, or should we go seven because we're very? Confident. Right, let's
2: go. I would I, I would say seven seven Oscar nominations on
1: Philadelphia <laughs> and Forrest let's Gump. Let's do it. Great. And we just hit the last call. So we'll put this answer in here for seven Academy Awards. For what two movies did Tom Hanks become only the second person ever to win back-to-back Oscars for best actor in a lead role? You guys say Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. The answer, Philadelphia and Forrest Gump. Yes. So you got that right. And for seven points. So, yeah, that was 1993 for Philadelphia, 1994 for Forrest Gump. And between 1994 and 2004 Tom Hanks was nominated four times for an Academy Award. That tied with Sean Penn, Meryl Streep, Judy Dench, and Ed Harris. Hmm. But he won twice, which they did not. So uh, good for Tom Hanks. But we'll move on to our own question, which is, under characters, what was the first and last name of the character played by Tom Hanks in Castaway? And we put three minutes on the clock. First and last name of that character played by Tom Hanks in Castaway. I have a confession to make. I have never watched Castaway. Oh, really?
3: It's quite—it's uh, quite good. Wait, how is it that Omen is the only one of the three of us that has seen this movie? <laughs> this seems completely out of—oh no, <laughs> out of no, no, it is odd because it's that like is backwards day. That's not
0: the type of movie that I would typically go for, but I really liked it. I think that there's something, you know, the the kind of Robinson Crusoe surviving on a desert island. I think that part of it appeals to me. It's basically just him for the entire film. Um, and of course, he has an acting partner who is a volleyball that, in his uh, loneliness over the course of seven years, he personifies and puts a face on and names Wilson because, dude, spoilers. <laughs> that's that's all in the that's all in the in the preview. But I, you know, I, I there was something touching for me about him performing with an ina- with an inanimate object, and he really he really tears it up. Um, and so does Tom Hanks, actually. You know, the implication was that the the ball tore Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we got got it. it. All (laughs) of that being said, I mean, I could relate to lots of different scenes from the movie. I have no idea what his name was in it. Yeah, zero, zero clue whatsoever. Uh, I mean, this is the kind of peculiar way that my memory functions. I can describe to you visually 10 scenes from that film.
3: I don't think that's peculiar at all. I think if we heard, if we had four choices, like even though I haven't seen the movie, I might recognize the name, but right. there, I mean there's no way that I could remember something like that. It's
1: like well, a, the part that's tough is there's not a lot of dialogue name. with people like saying his name, yeah, right? So yeah, I mean, exactly. I guess you got to try to think back to like parts in the movie where maybe that would have happened.
0: Right, he's not like, "I, Scott Jameson, I'm trapped on this island."
3: Scott Jameson. That's a fantastic does, guess. Does
0: Wilson <laughs> ever reply back to him? No, because, because that would help. a volleyball who can't speak.
3: <laughs> I guess I'm not understanding
0: the concept, but we can come back to that. That's okay. <laughs> um, you know, the only the part, last, call, oh last call, the part that would have had his name mentioned would be early on in the film when his plane is, you know, when he's getting on the, the delivery plane or later on when it's like the, the newscaster is talking about him. Is Taya Leonia in this? Is she the love interest or something? There is a love interest. It was probably played by an actress. Okay. Uh, I think we should go with Scott Jameson for two points because I literally have no clue. It's great. Love it. It's
3: the best. It's better than any name I could come up with.
1: All right, here we go. What was the last and first name of the character played by Tom Hanks in Castaway? You guys say Scott Jameson. The answer, Chuck Noland. Chuck Oh Nolan. And you know what? I'm so sorry. I, I should have gotten your wager on that one, but uh I, I just no, assumed two. you guys wanted it to put two. in two. Okay. Yeah, you said that. Two. All right, good, good. Chuck good. I was Nolan? I was focused is that on... not the name of uh, something? It's
3: not Chuck Norris. Oh,
1: okay. All right.
3: Chuck, Chuck Norris. Okay, <laughs> not great. Name. His name's not my strong
1: suit. Do you remember what company he worked for?
3: FedEx. Wasn't it yeah. FedEx? Yep.
1: Yep. Man. So he'd know all that about supply in the chain problems, which is almost like maybe <laughs> foreshadowing what he that was. It was a supply chain problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And also a good lesson on work-life balance, because I believe he left his family's, like, Thanksgiving celebration to go to work, and then his plane crashed on his, on his so way there. So he totally deserved it. Yeah, yeah. He you, was, you, could he, he, you could argue he that. You could argue that. He was surviving uh, off of other people's Christmas presents. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. It was Christmas, not Thanksgiving. All right. We move on to magic. And the studio cat hopefully approves. What is the name of the fortune telling machine in the 1988 Tom Hanks comedy film Big? Yes.
3: This is a movie I can get behind.
1: Yay. What is the name of the fortune telling machine in that 1988 Tom this, Hanks comedy this film? This name movie. I know.
3: Forget about Chuck Norris and Chuck Nolan. This is the important kind of name to remember in life. Omen,
1: can you
0: remember the the letter that the
3: name yeah, starts it's a with? Cuz that
2: might trigger it okay yes.
0: it's a z um, right. it's like it's not zatara that's the name of a dc character zatanna no zatanna zatanna is the dc character who also uses magic it's something that is you know like somewhat uh stereotypical or racist against the roma people um Zlat- zlatsko z- uh, uh, what's the second letter
3: so speaking as 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 one of those stereotypical people that it's racist <laughs> against, I think uh, DJ. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't he the great Zoltar?
0: Zoltar. He is the great Zoltar. Yeah. Wait a minute, the Kelly. Great Zoltar, are you of are you, are yeah. you of Romani background?
3: Well, it's a little confusing. I'm definitely half Polish and half Czech, and there's some um, some confusion in the family about the level of gypsiness. Yes, I
0: understand. Uh, I I have Czech background as well, and there are similar uh, apocryphal stories. But I think
3: yes, exactly. We
0: would need the Great Zoltan to determine what
2: Zoltar. And 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 we just discovered another common thread betwixt us because I (gasps) am half Polish.
3: Really. My I father was a
2: Polish Jew uh, whose family fled what was called the Pale of Settlements at the time, but is modern day Poland uh, when the Russians started exterminating Jews in the eve of World War One.
0: Wow. So, with that, I think we should go Zoltar?
3: The Great Zoltar. The Great
0: Zoltar. I'm so sorry. The Great Zoltar for five predictions. Five is the
1: remaining option. So, five should points. we do that? Yeah. Okay. All right, magic. Tom Hanks, the theme. What is the name of the fortune-telling machine in the 1988 Tom Hanks comedy film, Big? You guys say, The Great Zoltar. The answer, Zoltar. Very good. So that is correct. The Great Zoltar, and of course, if you remember that film, uh, The Machine, he, he wanted to ride a carnival ride, and it was too short to do it. So he went to the fortune-telling machine, said make me big. It spit out you know, a card that said your wish is granted or whatever, but then he noticed that the machine was unplugged. So very creepy, very creepy. And of course it did actually make him an older guy. What a so, bizarre
0: uh, premise for a film.
2: What's even worse is that the the woman that he ends up dating is actually dating a you know, a teenager who just happens to be in an adult body. I think that raises a lot of really uncomfortable yes. philosophical yeah. <laughs> questions. But
3: it it didn't in the nineteen eighties. No, we just exactly. accepted in the nineteen eighties. This was what was joyful about the nineteen eighties. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, All right, so very good. You guys get that answer correct. It brings us to the final question of the game, and that's a multi-part question. It's also the only question today that our team can lose points on. The trivia team can decide to wager either five or zero points on the final question, but they'll have to get every portion of the final correct in order to earn points. If they miss any portion of the final question, they lose what they wagered. Since it's a multi-part question, I'll give them five minutes to decide on their answer. Team, the final is Landmarks. Put the current Landmarks in order by how long they took to complete, from longest to shortest. How long did they take to complete, longest to shortest? Here are the Landmarks. The Golden Gate Bridge, Mount Rushmore, One World Trade Center, and the St. Louis Arch. I'll put the five minutes on the clock, and I'll give them to you again. Golden Gate Bridge, Mount Rushmore, One World Trade Center, and the St. Louis Arch. How long did they take to complete, longest to shortest?
2: There's a there's a challenge that I have with Mount Rushmore because to my understanding it's still technically incomplete and the family that owns it, it has no no interest in actually finishing. So it, as it is now is is unfinished, but yeah, as finished still, as it's likely to get. It's still black and mm, but white, isn't it? I would say, it?
3: regardless of that, it's still going to be the longest. Like, even even if you don't take that into account, even if you consider, like, a hypothetical completion date... I think it would still be the longest. I, That's
2: where I was going. I, uh, my understanding is is that <laughs> it's a really, really long, long, long time project. I
3: think
0: that um, the Golden Gate Bridge is, that that was my go-to for longest. And maybe we could put it in the second longest position just because bridges take for frickin' ever. And, you know, it's it's an extraordinary engineering project.
3: Also, I'm wondering what they consider, like, time to create. I mean, this is, like, putting too fine a point on it, but there was a lot of contention before even building the Golden Gate Bridge, like there were years of argument. People did not want it there. People thought it was going to be this eyesore that was ruining the bay, and people fought against it for years and years. You know, is the is the construction of it like simply from you know when the first metaphorical brick was laid, or from when the project <laughs> was conceived and designed to completion? Because that would add I, I know a the bridge is red, right, Kelly, it. but
2: you you know it's not made of brick, right? Well, it's... it
3: was it was metaphorical. I was speaking. Metaphorically, DJ. Um, I
0: think I think we should go from breaking <laughs> ground to whatever the equivalent of that is in in any of these circumstances, rather mm-hmm. than design, because that could, you know, that's a slippery slope.
3: Okay. And one world trade um, was like
0: a decade, right? I
2: mean, it, it, I think they started in t- 2004ish. I would say it's on and the
0: the shorter. It was end completed of in 2014. Y- yeah.
3: I think that's the shortest, and I would yeah. put just kind of by default the um, St. Louis, the Gateway Arch. In third position.
0: Although, although, the St. Louis Arch literally is, it's just an arch. You could build it on the ground and then pop it up.
3: It's not just an arch. You travel up it.
0: Yeah, no, it's hollow. You can you
3: well, go
2: inside. Even better, you realize you travel materials. in it, Omen.
3: No, <laughs> no, no and certainly not, how not in the year that it was created.
0: <laughs> when was it created? I know nothing about this. I mean, I've seen pictures of it. So what, they put up a wooden structure, they wrapped it in tin <laughs> foil. Know. they burned out the wooden part, and then there it is. Seven days yeah, max. They, they okay, remind me never Ren set Ren to set foot in a building that one. Omen is designed. <laughs> He's known Christopher Wren, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um. So it sounds like we're going longest, Rushmore, second longest, the GGB, third longest. Are, are you
3: are you on a nickname basis with the Golden Gate Bridge Could, now? Yeah,
0: couldn't be bothered. Third longest <laughs> is for some reason the St. Louis Arch, and then. The shortest construction would be One World Trade. Is that an accurate representation of where we're at? That's my that's my
2: hashtag confidently incorrect guesstimate.
3: The, if we're done, we can be done. I mean, the only thing that <laughs> that's still up for a debate. Well, James is giving me the signal. Um, the only thing that I think is up for debate in my head right now that you've got me on this Gateway Arch thing is um, you know building. <sighs> I could see that there's a case for flipping gold, um, gateway and, and one well,
0: what world was, trade. What year was, the, gate, was the, golden, the golden gateway to St. Louis erected?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. In my head, like 1906, 1908. Oh, that's,
0: what was, that's what's
2: in my head, too, oh, Kelly. Okay. So I think, I think you might be close. Yeah, probably
3: And, you a little know, longer back then, then things didn't, in some senses, take as long. I Last don't know, call. I could go let's, either way. Let's
0: go, let's go with, I think let's default to what seems reasonable, um, and that seems to me to be... <laughs> That'll
3: the, be a change of pace. To,
0: <laughs> that seems to be uh, Rushmore first, Golden Gate Bridge second, One World Trade Center third. S- sorry, let me start again. Golden, wait a minute, hold up, here we go. <laughs> From the top. Rushmore, Mount of, first. Golden Gate Bridge, second longest to build third longest to build, the St. Louis Arch, and fourth longest to build or otherwise known
1: as the shortest time to build, One World Trade Center. And you guys want to put in for the five points or you want to just kind of back off on this one? What's your thought process there? There are literally no
0: consequences.
1: (laughs) So I would say let's put the five points on it.
0: You know, burning
1: shame is a consequence, Omen. All right. (laughs) It is a consequence. All right. So, before I put the answer in, let me make sure I have your guys' order correct. You're saying Mount Rushmore, the Golden Gate Bridge, Mm -hmm. the St. Louis Arch, Mm -hmm. One World Trade Center. And again, this is from longest to shortest in terms of the time taking to completion. Okay. You got it. Here's the answer, because we know that your answer is what you guys are saying. Again, to clarify, Mount Rushmore, Golden Gate Bridge, St. Louis Arch, One World Trade Center. The answer... Mount Rushmore, Ooh. 14 years. One World Trade Center is next, eight years. What? Then what? the Golden Gate Bridge, four years. And then the St. Louis Arch, which took two and a half years to complete. So okay.
0: For the record. That one got tripped up. I want to say that I predicted that the St. Louis Arch would, was the easiest thing to build, and I was correct. I feel vindicated. <laughs>
1: It all that, that went up in nineteen sixty. In the nineteen sixties, the Golden Gate Bridge was built in the early 1930s. Oh. Wait, are you
3: telling me that the Gateway Arch was built in the sixties?
1: Yes. Really. Wow.
3: I thought it, it totally had to do with, like, you know, Western expansion and, and Route 66 and the heyday of, like, go through the archway, your gateway to the West. I mean, probably, that wasn't a 60s right. thing. I think that was it was a, probably
0: to commemorate That was a things.
3: depression thing. But the
0: design, I'm depressed just thinking about it. But I think that the, you know, the design of it does have that kind of 1960s futuristic Styles that makes total sense to me.
1: It was yeah, built as a monument. Depression. It was built as a <laughs> monument to the whole expansion westward movement. Sorry okay. about
0: that.
2: That makes sense. Well, speaking of depression, James, uh, what's our final score? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So
1: what you guys scored here today was a 17 out of a possible 30 points, Oof. and. Uh, in addition to that, I can also let you know that the one other person, the one other actor to ever have back-to-back Wait, I want to Oscar... finish it. I
3: want, to, I, want to, I want us to guess it. I want us to figure it out.
1: Okay, do who do have... you think it is?
3: Well, I don't know, but I want us to figure it out.
2: Uh, <laughs> Cary Grant. That's my guess. Really? Cary
0: Grant? Yep. Well,
2: it was... well,
3: what did he win for? I don't believe that. Um, it wasn't
1: Cary Grant. I'll tell you that no. much. No. Back-to-back Oscars. Uh, it was in 1937 and 1938.
0: How about that? Oh, 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 oh. Um, it must have. Oh, that cat. It must have <laughs> been. Um, uh, his name is blanking. I'm blanking on his name for the second time this week. the The swashbuckler who was the original Errol Flynn, Flynn. No, the original oh. Robin Hood, the original Robin Hood, pre pre
3: Tyrone Tyrone Power.
0: Uh, no. Also a good guess. No. Um. Oh, frick. I can't remember his name. You don't think that Errol Flynn was the original Robin Hood? He wasn't the original Robin Hood. There was a silent film actor who portrayed Robin Hood, uh, who was the... But
3: that wouldn't have been in 1937 and 1938. So did
0: they have talkies at that point?
3: Yes, they certainly did. Yeah. (laughs) Considering (laughs) The Wizard of Oz and um, Gone with the Wind were 1939. Right. Yeah. Wizard of Oz was
2: 39? And Errol Flynn's turn as Robin Hood was in
1: the 30s. All right, let's go with Errol Flynn then. All right. Errol Flynn. Nope. Sorry, guys. It was no, Spencer, Tracy. Spencer. No, Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy. For what? Nice. For oh. Captains Courageous and Boys Town. Wow. You know what's
3: yeah. funny? I think of him as being so much later. I would never have put him in the 30s, but I, I, I see that you're... There's a wow. neighborhood
1: in Chicago called Boys Town that has some excellent drinking establishments. Yep, that's true. (laughs) And uh, actually just connecting back to the uh, movie Big, since we're talking, you know, actors and actors that are no longer with us. Robert Loggia was uh, known for dancing on the piano with Tom Hanks in uh, Big, where they kind of played chopsticks together. Right. And uh, what's the other one? Heart and Soul. And FAO Schwartz. Yes. Yes. And FAO Schwartz. All right. 17 Um, out of a possible 30 points. Not too bad. Sorry, Kelly. What were you going to say?
3: Oh, I was just gonna ask, have you guys been to Mount Rushmore? It's one of my favorite places in the entire world.
2: I have not. I am stunned to find out that you would say that, Kelly. Why?
3: What what do you mean? Because
2: it's I this is I say this without judgment because you haven't said why it's your favorite place in the world. So maybe your reasoning actually aligns with this, but it is possibly the most significant affront to Native American. Heritage in the United States. It's it's literally a monument that is a giant middle finger to the Lakota.
3: Yeah, it's people, carved
2: into that. You know, the black that mountains. whole
0: area is, is considered sacred. It's a sacred well, mountain.
3: Okay, the now themselves. you've made me feel horrible and I recognize that. But putting that aside, <laughs> uh, no, I mean seriously, like you you I guess you have to put it aside in order for it to be one of your favorite places in the world. But um and Now I feel like a horrible human being, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Putting that aside, which, yes, it's it's difficult to do and have both of these be true simultaneously, but if you go, it is, well, I, I guess if you're going to have a testament to the greatness of America and the American spirit, it's going to be at the expense of the Native Americans, is it not? It really is, if there's anything that would make you feel good about America, it would be... Mount Rushmore and see, you know, they have video of them, I don't want to say building it, carving it, you know, it, this, this wasn't modern times. Like they literally were, were rappelling down the side of this mountain with dynamite, and the idea that they could do that and actually end up with something that looks like presidents, I mean, you know, from kind of an architectural... St- Christopher Wren couldn't do that. For, Let me well, put Christopher it that Wren
1: way. Would, would certainly appreciate it. And uh, we're not going to accuse him of any arson. We're not going to get into any uh, offenses with the, uh, you know, Native Americans. I'm sorry, Omen. Douglas
0: Fairbanks. Douglas Fairbanks was the great... That's who you were thinking. Oh, Douglas that Fairbanks. would be a
2: good All right. All right. F- All right. Douglas a Fairbanks, but... Who is not, in fact, on Mount Rushmore? So no, he you know,
0: is not. I guess he he is not. could have been if he wanted to have been.
1: And it was Spencer <laughs> he could have Tracy himself. Spencer into Tracy the face and Tom Hacks, who have won back to back Oscars. Okay, look, thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in for the show. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode. And if you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to LastCallTrivia.com and check out our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Until then, stay curious.